a little bit thinner crowd. I guess there's something going on called fall break, at least for Canyon ISD. So we got several that are gone today, but we truly appreciate you being here, being here for the worship service, and it's a joy and a privilege to come together before the Lord and praise Him in song, pray to Him together, and for a while, study His Word. And so I'm continuing and bringing to a conclusion my studies of the Sermon on the Mount. And as I've gone through these teachings, I've found how profound they are, and I've enjoyed the study tremendously. And I hope that you've also been benefited by our studies and and that you'll be benefited today. And it's my prayer again today that the things that we talk about will help you in your Christian life, as we're going to be talking about praying for the majority of our service this morning. We come to chapter 7, verse 7, where Jesus, Jesus says, "'Ask, seek, and knock.'" And as we look at this verse, we get maybe the greatest promise and the greatest comfort that we see in the Sermon on the Mount. But in in the later part of chapter 7, we see uh, maybe the greatest warning and and the most sobering message of the Sermon on the Mount. And so we're called to persevere this morning as we look at the ending of the Sermon on the Mount and continue pressing forward. As we briefly recall the words of Jesus and we Recall his preaching about the kingdom of heaven. He's announcing that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, the kingdom that was foretold by the prophets. And in the Sermon on the Mount, he's showing us what the type of people are who make up the kingdom, the people who submit to the kingdom. And they often live by values that are completely different than values of the world. In fact, they're often, most often, contrary to our nature. And so the question is, how do we continue a life in the kingdom? How do we continue with these values that aren't natural to us? And Jesus is going to give us the answer to that today and help us in that by asking, seeking, and knocking. And he's going to show us practices that will help us sustain and maintain a life following Jesus in his kingdom. So Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 8, he says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. What an amazing and profound promise that we're given here by the words of Jesus. Ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find, knock and it will be opened unto you. These words are very poetic and beautiful, but do we stop to think about what they truly mean? Do we take Jesus at His word when He tells us this? Do we believe that whenever I ask God that He's going to answer my prayers? Do we believe that when we seek Him that we will find Him? And do we believe that whenever we knock, the door will be opened? And so what does it mean to ask? What does it mean to seek? What does it mean to knock? Is Jesus talking about the same thing or is it something different? What does He mean by these words? I confess that at times in my life that I've not believed these words, and it's been a struggle for me, and especially as we think about our prayer life and how difficult that can be sometimes. But as we look at who Jesus was and we look at His instruction, we see that this was an integral part of His life. And His days here on earth were spent asking, seeking, and knocking. And so whenever Jesus says, ask, seek, and knock, He's calling us and drawing us into a closer relationship with God. And while he is talking about some of the same things in this, we see that this is an iterative process. This is something that builds upon itself. And so asking, as we study today, will be recognizing that I need help, recognizing that I need God. Seeking is looking for the answer 
to my prayers, looking for God's word and his will. And then knocking is doing that repetitively, persistence. And so we're going to look at these one by one and see what Jesus has to teach us. So number one, ask and you will receive. As we think about asking and what Jesus is talking about, it's pretty intuitive that he's talking about prayer. He's talking about our prayer life. He's talking about taking our requests to God. If we look back in chapter 6 and we see Jesus model prayer, majority of that prayer is him asking for things. He's asking that God would do things in his kingdom. And we'll talk about the nature of our requests here in a moment, but when Jesus says, ask and you shall receive, he's talking about our prayer, our prayers. So how's your prayer life this morning? Is it in a good state? How often do you pray? Do we pray at all the normal times like a meal when we remember or late at night whenever we're putting the kids to bed? Or do we follow the example of Jesus of this being a continual thing? How many of you have had an experience like this where I recognize that I'm deficient in my prayer life and so I make a conscious effort to change and I change my routine up a little bit. I get up early so I can spend time in prayer. And after about a week or so, I let maybe the normal routine of things get in the way and I go back to my old ways and I've fallen out of the habit. Or maybe I don't see the immediate results of my prayers or I don't feel like it's doing me any good. I don't see the benefits of my prayers, and so we give up. We often feel more defeated. Or like we said earlier, how often do we not actually believe Jesus and take Him at His word? I mean, if God's all-knowing and all-powerful, how do my requests change anything in this world or change anything in my life? And so I confess to you, I've struggled with these things, but Jesus is going to give us some tools and some things to help us and better understand what prayer is better understand how we should approach prayer and address our struggles and doubts. As he continues on, verse 9, he says, Or which one of you, if his sons asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give you good things to those who ask him? So the first part in us having a better prayer life and understanding its importance is to understand our relationship with God and understand our relationship to Him as our Father. So immediately Jesus tells us about God's character. He is our Father and He wants to give us good things. He wants to do good things in your life. He cares it for you. He wants the best for you. Just like we as parents have a longing desire to do the best for our children, to give them the best, to set them on the best path, God also has that desire for us. And when we understand and believe that God is our Father, not just the creator of the universe, not just the almighty, powerful God, He is our Father. We have a direct relationship with Him. That's foundational and fundamental and key for us in our prayer life. So how many of you have heard this before? You, you pick your kid up from school or from practice and they say, Daddy, can we go, get, go to Pack-a-Sack? Or can we go to Brahms and get some ice cream? You know, as a parent, I enjoy doing those things for my children. It's a joy and a pleasure, and we have a special time where we can go and I can fulfill one of their requests and do something that they enjoy. We want to do good things for our children. We want to say yes when they ask for us. And so, we being fallible human beings, how much more does God know 
how to give you the things that you need, give you the things that you ask for. And so when my kids tell me that they're hungry, I don't give them a pile of rocks saying, eat on this, this will hold you over till supper. My kids ask for a piece of meat, I don't give them a serpent, something that could hurt them. No, I, I give them good gifts. I give them the things that they need. And I can often see those things that they need better than they can. How much more and how much greater is our Father who is in heaven give good things to us? James 1, verses 16 and 17. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Let's not be mistaken. Let's not misunderstand this. God wants to give you good things. He wants to set you on the right path. It's in His very nature as God our Father. As Jesus calls us into prayer, He's showing us that there's a relational aspect to this. We're engaging with God the Father. It's not a one-way street. We can't cry out to God or we can't expect that He will give us the things we want if we don't ask for them. As we look at Jesus and His example, He used prayer as His main avenue and access to the Father. Oftentimes, He would retreat off by Himself to pray all through the night. Many times, He would uh, pray privately in private settings with His disciples. He would pray publicly. He spent His life in prayer. He prayed without ceasing, as the Scriptures tell us to do. And so if Jesus needed prayer to maintain a close relationship with the Father, we certainly need prayer. And we ought to be encouraged to pray often to our Father. The next thing that we can draw attention to is Jesus creates a one-to-one -one relationship with all of these things. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened unto you. So if I don't ask, I don't receive, right? And so we have to bring our request to God. We actually have to ask Him. In chapter 6, though, remember he says, your father knows what you need before you ask of him, so why do I have to ask? Why do I have to bring those things to him? He's already got his mind made up, doesn't he? It's pretty easy to fall into that way of thinking or that temptation to think that way. And I think maybe with uh, partially the way I was raised that sometimes I think God is too big to be concerned about me, that my requests do anything. But we see that Jesus draws the exact opposite conclusion. He says, God knows what you need, so ask Him for it. And in chapter 6, immediately after saying that, He begins to pray. Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We're constantly encouraged in the Scriptures to take our requests before God, to make those things known. And whenever we ask for help, we're surrendering our lives over to God and over to Christ. Whenever I ask for help, I realize that there's some things outside of my control. There's some things that I can't do on my own. God wants us to ask for those things. And when we do that, we can trust that He's going to make all things work together for good. We turn those things over to Him, we have peace in that. There's a peace of, of turning those things over to God, especially the things that are outside of our control. So when I ask for help, let's say I've got an electrical problem at home, I've got a breaker that keeps tripping off, I don't know what to do. Well, I ought to go ask for help. 
If I tear off into that without asking for help, I could get myself hurt. And so I call an electrician. I call Brad. I consult the internet, maybe. (laughs) Maybe not. But we realize we can't do, do that task without some help. We're realizing that we need assistance. And so if we think back to our parenting example, how many of you have heard this one? Daddy, I'm thirsty. Mama, I'm hungry. There's a couple reactions that I immediately feel in that. The first one is, well, I have a desire to do the thing that they need, to get up and get Bodie some water. The second thing, and my dad would often respond, and well, hi, hungry, I'm David. (laughs) How many of you have given that response to your kids? But when we do that, we're teaching them a lesson. We want to teach them to properly communicate, but we also want to teach them to what? To ask, to ask for help. Daddy, can you get me some water? Can you get me a drink? Sure, son, absolutely. I'd love to get you what you need. And so God wants the same thing from His children. He wants us to bring our requests to Him. He wants us to ask those things of Him. And so as we look at this and we see that if we don't ask, we don't receive, I think the conclusion can be drawn that Jesus is showing us that there are ways that God would want to bless you. There are ways that God would want to use you for His purposes and the purposes of the kingdom, but those things don't happen because we don't ask. Those things don't come to fruition because we don't take those things and pray to Him. We don't take our requests to Him. Or like in James chapter 4, we, we don't receive because we don't ask or we ask amiss. So what are the things that we should be asking for? And the final piece of this is that we have to ask in faith according to God's will, not our own. 1 John 5 verses 14 and 15, and this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know, in it, know that He hears us, in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of Him. And so the other piece of this is that we align our prayers with God's will. We align our requests with God's, uh, what God would have for our lives. Do you know why we pray in Jesus' name? First thing that... I think we all understand pretty well, is that Jesus is our mediator before God. As the sacrifice for our sins, dying on the cross, He mediates between us and the Father. But if we think about bearing the name of Christ or bearing the name of God, we're holding that up like a banner. We're coming to God in the name of Jesus Christ. And so we ought to take on the character of Jesus Christ. We ought to ask the things that Jesus would pray for. And so in praying in Jesus' name... In Jesus' name should be that we align ourselves with the Father's will. If we take a look at the Lord's Prayer, He says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus' prayers were about the kingdom coming on earth, that God's will would be done here on earth and in our lives and in the lives of our neighbors. Or if we look at the prayers of Paul, we see that he aligned his requests with the furtherance of the gospel. And so as we look at the answer to some of Jesus' prayers or the answer to some of Paul's prayers, we see that there's a few different responses. Sometimes the answer is no. No, but I have something better planned for you. Or yes, but not right now. And so we ought to keep these things in mind as we go and pray to God. 
If we, take, if we think about the request for ice cream, if Boyd asks me for ice cream right before dinner, my answer is going to be no. But if he asks me after school, my answer may be yes. And so there's a difference in timing. There's a difference of the things that are ahead of us. And I may say, no, Boyd, actually, I've got something better planned for you. We're making steak tonight. Or if it's Boyd and Bodie's request, it'll be, we're making spaghetti tonight. I've actually got something better planned for you than this ice cream that you're asking for. And so we can't see much farther than what's right in front of us. We can't see much farther than maybe the problem that's presenting itself to us. And so we might not know how God would answer that prayer so that it works out for us. But we need to keep in mind if we continue asking in faith that God will give us good things. If we take a look at Jesus' prayer in the garden, Mark chapter 14, verse 36, it says this, And He said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. As Jesus was praying before His death, He was praying to God the Father. He says, all things are possible to you, through you. Anything is possible for you. If there's any other way, I don't want to die. What was the answer to that prayer? Jesus died, right? The answer to that prayer was no. And Jesus still, maybe even, and still knowing the answer to that prayer, still brought it before God, still brought His requests before God. But what did God have planned instead? He had something much greater planned. And not only did He secure salvation for us through His death, but one thing I thought of in, in this study, and one thing that I realized is a great thing that was ahead of Jesus. You see, Jesus was risen on the third day. God rose Him up. Jesus is alive today because of what He went through. And so, God may have great things planned for us beyond our initial request, beyond the initial thing that we see in front of us. And God, seeing things in the future, may have better things planned for you. And so as Jesus comes to God, He says, not what I will, but what you will. I'm going to submit to your will. So let us have faith and patience in our prayer life. It may be years or months of praying for something or someone that we don't immediately see an answer to, but He calls us to have faith knowing that God has good gifts planned for those who seek Him and seek an answer to their prayers. And so number two, seek and you will find. Whenever we're seeking, it means that we have to put in some effort. We have to be seeking God in the kingdom. We have to be seeking the answer to our prayers. So we seek God's will through His Word, and we pray according to God's will. How do we pray according to God's will? Well, we have to know what He's told us. How can we pray Scripture if we don't know Scripture? How can we pray according to His will if we don't know His commandments? So Trevor focused on this a couple of weeks ago when he talked about the prayers of Paul. He studied the prayers of Paul with us. I encourage you to go and listen to that because it adds a great perspective on our prayer life. But we ought to be praying the Scriptures, and we must be seeking out the Scriptures, seeking out God's will for us in our lives. And we seek, when we seek out the Scriptures, we seek out God in His kingdom. Psalm 119, verses 9 through 12. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. 
Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. So how do we seek God and His kingdom? How do we seek those things with all of our heart? Through study of His Word. We pray that He would teach us His statutes, that He would teach us His wisdom. And we can only see the answer to those prayers by study and meditation. So why do we ask amiss or why do we ask the wrong things? It's because we don't know His Word. And once we align our prayers with God's will, then we can seek to do His will. We can pray to be a part of the solution. One thing that Trevor pointed out is when Paul prayed, he immediately was taking action to make those prayers come to light, to see the answer to those prayers. For example, he prayed that he would go to Rome. He could go to Rome and see the brothers there in the city of Rome. Did he wait for God to bring a magic bus to him and take him off to Rome? No, he may look for opportunity where he could make that happen. He prayed for opportunity so that, that he could make that happen. He made deliberate action and deliberate focus on his prayers. And so as we take a look at the Bible and we take a look at God and his relationship with humans, he's chosen to work his plan and his purposes through human beings, through you and me. And so as the story goes, we've got to bait the hooks. We've got to put in action on our part. We've got to seek God. We've got to seek the answer to our prayers. Ephesians 3 verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. As Paul is praying for the Ephesians, he's praying that they'd be filled with love and be filled with the Spirit of God. And he tells them, God can do so much more than we ask or think. So much more than we can even imagine. But how does he do that? According to the power at work within us. There's a power that would be at work within us if only we would ask and if only we would seek. The power of God works in, by, and through you so that others could come to know Him, could come to know the kingdom, so that you could be blessed. And God would use you in His plans if only you would seek Him. So what is it that we find whenever we seek God, when we seek the kingdom? Jesus tells us this later in chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So in our seeking, we ought to be seeking the narrow way. That way that is more difficult. But those who find it, find life. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added unto you. That should be our first focus. And when we seek the kingdom, we find life. We find life in the here and now and we find life hereafter. And we will find the answer to our prayers. And so finally, he says, knock and it will be opened. The final word that Jesus uses here to describe this is knocking. And this represents the persistence and the urgency that we should have in our prayer life, in our study, and in our doing. And persevere, we ought to persevere through whatever situation we find ourselves in. Continually ask, continually seek the kingdom of God. So there's been times where I've been sitting at home, I've not been expecting any company, I'm relaxed on the couch, and all of a sudden I hear... And I, 
get shaken up. I get surprised by that. Immediately when I hear a knock on my door, there's a bit of urgency there. There's persistence that comes with that knock. It gets my attention. And so we ought to have the same attitude in our lives as Christians, in our prayer life, in our seeking. We ought to have an urgency and we ought to have a consistency. As Jesus gives this same teaching in Luke chapter 11, before He tells them to ask, to seek, and to knock, He tells them a story. He says, there was a man who, it was late one night, and he had guests come over to his house. And he had no bread to set before them. So he goes to his friend's house and he knocks. And he says, friend, I've got company that came over late. I have nothing to set before them. Can you give me some bread? Can you spare me something? And his friend says, go away. Me and my kids, we're asleep right now. And he still hears. He's not giving up. He says, I really need your help right now. And the conclusion of that in verse 8, he says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. You see, he was consistent. He was maybe a little bit rude in that request. But it was constant. It was continual. And Jesus says, no, not because he's his friend, because he's already proven he's not a very good friend. It's not because he's his friend, but because he continually comes and he's continually asking because of his impatience. And so this ought to be the attitude that we have in our prayer life and in our relationship with God. Come, keep, come back, keep praying, keep seeking, keep studying, keep doing. As I thought about this and I thought about asking, seeking, and knocking and the relationship that we have with God, I thought of the story of Jacob. And Jacob in his life and Jacob did a lot of things that were a little shady. His name is called the deceiver. And so he deceives his brother Esau into getting the blessing, or first getting his, uh, selling him his birthright. And then he tricks his dad and his brother into giving him the blessing. And so Jacob flees and goes off into another land. But as we see Jacob go throughout his life, we see that he devotes his life to God. And while he doesn't always do it the right way, he actually messes up quite a few times. He's striving and continues to maintain a close relationship with God. And as we look over the arc of his life, he continued growing, continued trusting, and continued in his relationship with God. And so as he's returning home, he's in his hour of the most fear and uncertainty he's ever felt. He's coming back to see his brother Esau. And he's afraid Esau's out for blood. And he goes off to be by himself, perhaps in a night of prayer as what he intended, but he runs into this angel, this messenger of God, and he wrestles with this angel through the night. And he grabs him and he refuses to let go. He says, I'm not letting go until I receive a blessing from God. And so the angel injures him so that he'll let go, and he blesses him. And then he says this in Genesis 32, verse 28. He said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. So he's renamed to Israel, he who wrestles with God. This isn't a negative title. In fact, we see Paul describe prayer uh, as Epaphras prayed for the Colossians. He said he struggled in prayer for you guys. And so this title, he who wrestles with God, represents Jacob's life. And though 
He doesn't always get things right. He maintains a close relationship with God. He struggles with God. He struggles to know what's the right decision, but he continues to come back to his relationship with God and trust in Him. And so sometimes as we have our relationship with God, sometimes we're defeated. We get swept off our feet. We fall down. We don't do things correctly, but we keep getting back up. We keep coming back to God. We keep struggling and striving. We keep fighting till we receive the blessing for our efforts. And then we keep going back, keep entering the ring, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Continue in prayer and study and in doing. And so Jesus gives us this warning as we get to verse 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And so to add on all these things, we also have to be doing the things that he's asked us. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. He goes on to say, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then he will declare unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And so Jesus encourages us to be persistent, to be continual in these things. Because on the final day, there's those who will say, haven't we done these things for you? Didn't I have a relationship with you? Didn't I do mighty works in your name? And he says, no, you're a practicer of lawlessness. And so these people fell out of a relationship with God. They gave up. They stopped asking, stopped seeking. They stopped knocking. And so there's two paths set before us. Christ gives us the option. He says, if you knock, the door will be opened. The easy way that leads to destruction or the difficult way that leads to life. I encourage you this morning to choose life, to, choose, to keep getting back up, getting in the ring, to strive in your prayer life with God, to seek to be the answer to those things and continue coming back and continue knocking. Let's pray together. Our dear Heavenly Father, we come before you and thankful for the words of Jesus that you've left for us. Lord, we thank you for the avenue of prayer and we pray that you would draw each of us into a closer relationship with you through our prayers. We pray that we would understand that you are our Father who is ready and willing to bless us if only we would ask. And Lord, we pray that your purposes and your plan would be worked through us. Lord, we ask that we would seek opportunity, that we would seek first the kingdom of heaven that you've shown to us here in Jesus' words. We pray that we'd be seeking for your will, that we would study your statutes and your commandments so that we may have wisdom to use in our lives. And Lord, we pray that we would be continual and persistent in these things to come back to you each day, continue knocking and praying for the blessing that you would have for us and have for your creation. Lord, we love you and we thank you so much for Jesus, the example he set for us and the sacrifice that he gave for us. And Lord, it's our prayer that each individual here would enter into a closer relationship with you through their prayers. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So as we come to a close here, and I close out the studies of the Sermon on the Mount, I want to leave you with the final words and the final thoughts that Jesus gives his audience here in verses 24 through 27. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. 
And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who has built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. As we look at Jesus' teaching and as we look at the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells us that these things will give us a firm foundation that would keep us through any storm, through any difficult trial that we face. As I read about this verse, I read that the, the sand around Galilee in the dry season would get very hard and crust it over on top and give the illusion that that was a solid place to build a structure. But when the rains and the winds come, that foundation would be tore apart. And so there's worldly wisdom that we can go and find that seems like a good foundation. But whenever the storms of life come, those things get washed away. And great would be the fall of it if we heed not the words of Christ. But Christ tells us that we can have a firm foundation in Him. And as we look back on the Sermon on the Mount, He first tells us that we ought to be living out the true blessing in the kingdom. He showed us who was truly blessed in the kingdom of God. And when we live out that blessing, then we are salt and light to the people around us. We offer light to the world around us. And then Jesus calls us to fulfill the law, not obeying out of obligation, but out of a desire to be like Jesus and following the true wisdom that's found in the law and the commandments. He reminds us that we shouldn't be doing these things for our glory, but for the glory of God and in practicing heart-based religion in our prayer, in our fasting, and in our giving. He tells us to set our affections and our attention on things above, not on the things of this earth. And when we do that, that our anxieties will begin to fade away. He tells us to offer proper judgment, not hypocritical judgment, but judgment that helps my brother, where we can both look up to Christ as our example. And then he tells us to continue in these ways. We need to continue to ask, to seek, and to knock in prayer and study and in doing. And these are the teachings that Jesus says will give you a strong foundation. If we listen to His words, He offers us a strong foundation that will withstand any storm that life can throw at us. As we see the conclusion of chapter 7, verses 28 and 29, it says, And when Jesus had finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at His teaching. For He was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. And so as we look at the teachings of Jesus, we too recognize that these things are different. We recognize that Jesus has a different authority, that He has a higher authority. As we look back on Jesus and His death and His enthronement through His sacrifice, He is the King of the kingdom of heaven today. Have you made Him your King this morning? Have you made Him King over your life? Have you submitted to His teachings? If not, we want to ask you to do that today. Submit yourself to Him. Become a part of the kingdom of heaven. And He would have blessings for you if only we would ask, seek, and knock. We can take care of that and assisting you in baptism at this time or as we talked about prayer this morning. Oftentimes we struggle. We have things that we need help with. And in Matthew chapter 18, I believe, Jesus says, if you're gathered in my na- together in my name and ask in my name, it will be given to you. We can pray on your behalf this morning. We can pray for you, pray for whatever struggle you may be having, and pray that God would help you. If there's one of either class, please come as we stand and sing.